So how are you doing, Dave? Awesome. I just took my vitamins because we're in store for uh, several podcasts um, in, that we're going to be recording in series here. And they're going to be topical, right? Sure. Yeah, they will be extremely topical, despite the fact that we've accumulated the content over the last two months. Uh, yes. <laughs> we've actually had a, a dry run here. I mean, between, I guess it was like my trip to the UK and then you were away and I was traveling and you were traveling. We just, our schedules never lined up. And so, uh, yeah, we have like six weeks, eight weeks worth of material here that we had to cut up into a bunch of tiny episodes, uh, which is what our, our, which is what our consumers demand. Uh, they like the tiny episodes, yeah. so we're going to make some tiny episodes. We're also going to make them, uh, topic specific, right? So if people don't like a particular thing that we mm -hmm. talk about, they can skip over it. Yeah. Uh, so how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to this, uh, this Red Hat Arama episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about yeah. all Red Hat all the time on this one. Yeah, that's that's a topic this week. Yep, yeah. Um, daka, daka, so, daka. Mm -hmm. Daka, daka, daka. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, I'm doing pretty good. I recently, so we had Texas in the summer, so we had this catastrophic lightning storm. And uh, usually these mm -hmm. things pass over, no big deal. But we actually had, it was bad. We had like tornado warnings. Uh, in Austin. Mm. And, uh, so I was huddled up in, uh, in our guest room, which is the safest room in the house. Uh, huge lightning strike, uh, power kind of flipped off, flipped back on again. And in the clear light of morning, I discovered that I had lost my cable modem, my router, my upstairs wireless router, my ethernet switch downstairs, my desk, and the DVR mm. that's attached to the security cameras in the house. All of these things got fried. Um, wow. And so, yeah, it was pretty bad. So it took me two, three days to get all the stuff replaced. And, you know, fortunately, I'm a, you know, uh, a hoarder of uh, electronic equipment. So I had like duplicates or kind of older versions of a lot of these things. So I was able to get back up and running pretty quickly. The silver lining, though, is uh, when I went to go exchange my cable modem with the jackals at uh, Time Warner, uh, they offered mm -hmm. me. A, uh, a much better deal. Um, they know that Google Fiber is coming to town. Uh, and so yep. for $5, I was able to upgrade from whatever soda straw I was sucking down the internet from before up to now a 200 megabits down and something like 30 up. Uh, wow. So I'm, yeah, so I'm now delighted. Uh, I'm, I'm streaming movies just for no reason now, uh, just because I can. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So is that like a one-time, is that like a limited term promotion and then they, that's how they get you or is it five bucks more uh, until they say so? Yeah. So I, so I did mention that it was time Warner. Uh, so it is virtually yes. guaranteed, uh, that, uh, you know, after 60 days, 90 days of me enjoying this bandwidth, that they're going to start adding zeros to my bill. Yeah. I'm, I'm, right. I'm positive yeah. of it. Yeah. How are you doing? What's going on? Oh, good, good. I'm, I'm ready for independence day and, and, uh, Got the Akron Lug meeting tonight, so I'm all excited for that. Lauren's going with me, so we're going to go talk to folks. Excellent, excellent. What's the uh, what's the topic uh, this week? Um, there is none, so it's it's mm -hmm. sort of like you know it's sort of it's probably going to be a light crew uh, this week because of the the holiday on you know being July 3rd. So it's like yeah, we'll just push it out uh, the the formal meeting. So it's just uh, guys getting together talking about stuff. So that'll be good. Okay, excellent. Um, so what do we have uh, what do we have on deck for the show this week? Okay, so let's see if, if you could detect a pattern here. We're going to be talking about containers. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about Project Atomic. 
We're going to talk about containers. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to talk about RHEL 7. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about containers mm -hmm. and then Rev 3.4. And then we're going to talk about Docker. Oh, you mean Docker? Yeah, Docker. 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 Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I don't know if you were able to pick up on a pattern, but if, if people wanted to analyze the uh, topics um, mm -hmm. and, and all the links that we have, where should they uh, check that out? Yeah, they want to go to dgshow.org. Uh, that's D as in Docker. Uh, G is in DACA with a silent G, show.org. Mm -hmm. And so on the, on the cutting room floor this week, uh, we have uh, my favorite bar in Austin, uh, which is the mm -hmm. Container Bar. Uh, we've got uh, my favorite philosophy podcast, uh, which is uh, the Partially Examined Life, which I can't believe I haven't discovered uh, until recently. And then um, how uh, some good design can resolve armrest disputes on airplanes. Yeah. Yeah, well, and speaking of airplanes with... Uh... Mm -hmm. uh, the, the United is joining Delta with uh, changing their frequent flyer program to go from uh, points per dollar spent instead of miles flown, as, as, which you're not a fan of. I am not a fan of this. I think this is a. Yeah. Uh, I think this is. I think it's evil. Um, I think it is mm -hmm. crass. Uh, I think it's unfair mm -hmm. to me specifically, um, and it's hard mm -hmm. not to take it personally when they make changes like this because I feel like they are speaking directly to me uh, when they harm me in this way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad I switched to U.S. Airways, but I'm sure it's not going to be, uh, you know, two of the three major airline uh, airlines are going that route. So I uh, I can see U.S. Airways slash American following suit soon enough. I agree. I agree. I think, and I think with the uh, uh, with U.S. Airways and American merging, uh, I think we are we may be Dave at the end of the golden age of airline miles. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, uh, I think we had a good run there. Uh, but I think airline miles as a currency, um, is, uh, that we may be on the wane here. Um, we may be, we may be looking for, for another way to, uh, to shore up our sense of self-worth, um, uh, cause it's, it doesn't look like it's going to cut in our direction. Yep. So it's going to be video conferencing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to figure out, we need to figure out some other way of indicating our status on a video conferencing, maybe like hours yes. logged or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I get some good news. Um, you'll yeah. remember this longstanding problem uh, I've had with uh, my, my darling wife uh, having moved from iPhone to Android uh, and no longer receiving text messages. Um, mm -hmm. There's all kinds of stuff you have to do to kind of quit iMessage, uh, which is an extremely mm -hmm. sticky service. And it is uh, very difficult to convince Apple to stop slurping up your, your text messages. Um, they've introduced this facility where you can actually send a text message from the afflicted phone to uh, 48369 and mm -hmm. uh, you text the word stop to it and mm -hmm. it will no longer redirect uh, text messages to the iMessage service and instead send them off onto uh, the usual SMS service. Um, mm. And it seems to have worked for us, uh, which is great news. Oh, good. Yeah. So yeah. It's, this isn't like some scam where you're, you're going to get, you're going to profit off some Nigerian uh, SMS scam thing. Uh, that's that's that may still happen, um, but I but I did okay. find these instructions inside an Apple uh, knowledge base note, so uh, I presume that it's okay from there. from a, a prince with a large sum of money that <laughs> that's right, yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, terrible. Uh, and then uh, so I I, I like this article you found about uh, standing desks, um, especially when mine got fried by the lightning storm. I was seriously yeah. Now you have an alternative. Yeah, that's right. Uh, curling up in the fetal position instead of standing. Yeah, uh, which is that's much the healthier, new thing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, um, it's therapeutic. <laughs> that's right. So there's this great Onion video uh, on this new trend sweeping offices uh, around the world, and it's written in the. <laughs> anyway, it's very funny. Um, was, yeah, I highly recommend simple. people check that out. It's, yes. it's hilarious. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, so now I recently saw a survey uh, of what happened to folks when they when Google Reader left us. Um, yes. And wh where people went afterwards, and it was to Feedly. A lot of them went to Feedly. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, there's a lot of people using Evernote, and you found that the uh, both Feedly and Evernote are afflicted, right? Uh, yep. They were compromised in some way. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of uh, fetal positions, um, <laughs> there was, uh, I guess, you know, somebody like they did a denial of service attack on them, and they basically said, "Hey, we'll lift it if you pay our ransom." Um, and so the the Feedly and the Evernote uh, folks, they they held their ground. And they would like rather go down and stay down than cave into the ransom demands, which I I thought was great. Um, I, I prefer that um, than you know having them cave in and you know because all that does is just reinforce that behavior. Yeah, yeah. I like I like this idea of uh, of tech companies not negotiating with terrorists. Um, right. Can, yes. I, I imagine uh, Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan as CEO of uh, Evernote, um, kind of pounding his fist on the desk and not giving in. I like it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, Netflix did give in. Um, yep. To, you know, so the, this article you found about um, Netflix is going to shut down its public API uh, to third-party developers in November um, to the detriment of you know third-party developers who had been relying on uh, the Netflix uh, suggestion algorithms, I guess is what the API mm -hmm. was mostly about. Um, well, and, and queue management, and so somebody mm -hmm. wanted to do like a third-party uh, queue management app, like right. like in, in, for I know Android. I don't know about iOS. You know, you can't manage your DVD queue using the Netflix app, um, but people mm -hmm. would make third-party apps to be able to do that. Right. And was there argument that people are no longer using the DVD function at all, um, and are most of them are using Instant, and so why bother maintaining a public API for this service that? We've tried to kill many times before, or is there something more nefarious here? Are they trying to, are they deliberately trying to kill off the third-party developers? I I think they want to have the main way that people access Netflix is through their website and their app. Um, sure. And and they don't want to, you know, you could look at it from the pessimist viewpoint or the conspiracy theorist viewpoint as them being sort of like greedy and keeping it all to themselves, um, or you could look at it possibly from like the Say like the Steve Jobs standpoint of, of uh, you know, you want the, the they want to control the experience, um, mm -hmm. and so that's that's sort of why like iOS didn't exist on like white boxes, um, right? You know, right. even though they could, uh, but the, you know, he wanted to control things from a design standpoint, user experience standpoint, um, right? But I'm sure well, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah, or both. Yeah, both. Right. Um, yeah. This reminds me yeah. of Twitter shutting down their their API, or at least putting governors on their API to kind of discourage the proliferation of third-party clients. Um, yeah. It's a very similar experience. They do want to kind of quote-unquote control the experience. Um, although, you know, this got me thinking about um, this notion of, you know, when we talk about cloud services, well, so two things. First is when we talk about cloud services, one of the frequent arguments you hear, especially from Apple fans, when they're talking about Google, is they're saying, well, well, I pay Apple money, and so I'm not afraid of uh, I'm not afraid of using their service because they're they have my interests in a, as a customer at heart. Whereas, 
if I give my data or I give my work to Google, Google's making money off of me, right? I'm the product when it comes to Google. Mm -hmm. And so there's mm -hmm. no incentives in place. And so Google's going to abuse me, uh, whereas Apple is less incented to abuse me. Um, this is an example of where that is not true, right? Um, Netflix is actually you know, potentially doing harm to its customers by limiting the number of ways in which they can interact with their service, right? That's a, that's a material, materially worse uh, end customer experience, I would think. Um, so yeah, it kind of gives, yeah. gives lie to that point. Um, and then uh, the second is, you know, you and I talk a lot about vendor lock-in. Um, and yep. I wonder if a better way of describing this is vendor abandonment. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, because yeah, when you talk about lock-in, it's like something theoretical. But you talk about vendor abandonment, it actually happens a lot more often than just simple lock-in. Um, this mm -hmm. idea of like, well, a vendor just doesn't care about your product anymore, and so they're going to cut it off and leave you to drift. Um, you know, if, uh, if you had, if for whatever reason you were relying on Netflix's public API, you're, you're out of luck uh, come November yeah. 14th. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think, too, that for the, um, the cloud especially, you know, mm -hmm. vendor abandonment is, is worse. Like if you think about like vendor abandonment from like some software manufacturer, if I have a copy of that software and I have say a license key that presumably doesn't expire, I should be able to run it until it, you know, the end of time, um, presume, you know, license wise and all that permitting. Um, whereas with the cloud API or, or any sort of cloud service, once that goes away, if you don't have, like an open source version of it where you could, or, or some other place that you could go, um, that's, you know, that should be uh, a cause for a pause, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, what do you say? Let's go through the, let's go through the events and then let's get to the meat here because we got a ton of road yes. stuff to talk about. Um, so yep, this, yep. Uh, I don't even know what this one is. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What is this? Yeah, so this is a, uh, uh, a GovLoop event where you know we're we're going to have a presence there. Uh, Bob St. Clair is uh, the SA manager for uh, the DoD uh, uh, folks is giving a keynote and he's going to be on a panel, so um, he's all excited to present there. Yeah, awesome. That's great. That's great. Bob's such a nice guy. I've been I've been working with Bob, I guess since I got here. Um, yeah, Red Hat. Me too. Uh, really, just a fantastic guy, um, and really excited to see him getting out there in public and. Uh, and getting on panels and preaching the good news. Um, that's great. That's really cool. Yeah. So that's what, July 16th? 14th. July 16th. 16th. Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. And then on July 30th, we've got uh, the uh, Defense in Depth Part 2, uh, Defense in Depth yep. 2014. Um, this is Sean Wells, $20, uh, mm -hmm. put together this conference almost by accident last year, right? Um, mm -hmm. wanted to get a bunch of people interested in the SCAP standard together, ended up putting 200 people in a room and, uh, we decided this year to, I guess, formalize it, make it, uh, make it, you know, like a real life conference. Um, and so yep. July 30th, uh, we're going to have a bunch of folks coming in to talk, not just about SCAP, but about all kinds of security, um, security in RHEL, security in OpenStack, OpenShift, uh, DACA, um, and, uh, it'll be in a uh, Tyson's corner of Virginia, uh, July 30th. Mm -hmm. so I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be, that'll be great. That'll be a good event. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a FedScoop event coming up on August 21st. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'll be keynoting actually the uh, lowering cost of government IT on uh, August 21st, uh, which I actually need to submit the 
abstract for it. I, I need to figure out what I'm going to say about lowering the cost of government IT. So if anybody out there is listening, you know, some ideas, let me know. Um, cause I, yeah. uh, <laughs> I got, I got to tell them what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yep. And then you're, and, and, uh, uh, Lauren, right? Lauren's got a, Lauren's got yep. a gig coming up. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's, um, there's somebody that she has been working with over the past couple months, uh, Charles Pichak, um, who is a juggler that has been on, uh, America's got talent. Um, he, um, she actually has come up with a raspberry Pi solution to, uh, control his juggling pins. And so the, the maiden voyage for it is on August 23rd, where, um, uh, it'll actually be in Kent and, uh, you know, so Lauren and I have tickets for it, and we'll be in the audience, nervously hoping with our fingers crossed that everything works great. Um, so it's <laughs> it, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to that. So um, oh, if you're cool. in Kent, Kent, Ohio, uh, you can come and, and see Charles juggle uh, uh, juggling pins uh, driven by a Raspberry Pi. Driven by code that Lauren wrote. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. That's so cool. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. All right, Dave. Uh, we're about hip deep now. What do you say we? Uh, what do you say we jump in uh, yep. to this uh, to the sea of red hat information? Um, yes. I guess the best place to start is with this article that just came out like today or yesterday on uh, in uh, defense systems. Um, yep. About containers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wrote an article on how uh, Linux containers can um, help uh, address some of the the challenges that people face with virtualization. And so um, you think about uh, virtualization, where you got to have a a guest operating system for on you know on for every uh, uh, virtual machine that you have on your hypervisor, that you know is a lot of overhead. You got to pay for software subscriptions or software licenses, and you got to um, have all this redundant you know several copies of the OS loaded, several copies that you got to patch, um, and then it requires a bigger hardware footprint. Uh, whereas if you do something like uh, containers. Uh, with, and, and Docker and Project Atomic, um, you're able to um, have uh, 10x uh, more applications on a, on the same piece of hardware. So um, I go into that in pretty in some good detail. So I'm I'm really excited. I, I was proud of how it turned out. Cool. Oh, that's great. That's great. Now, are there? No, is this in defense systems? So are there are kind of security implications to using virtualization over containers. You just could um, discuss that at all? Yeah. 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 And and so like. With the with virtualization, we have SVIRT, which is uh, you know we've had that in KVM since like RHEL five and uh, came on really strong in RHEL six, um, and that similar technology is being applied to our implementation of Linux containers. So the same way that we use SVIRT that does SE Linux uh, multi-category security to separate the guests from each other, um, mm -hmm. uh, having basically SE Linux force fields in between each guest, um, we can we could have that same SE Linux force field protection between applications. Um, and it's, but it's all running on the, on the same, uh, host. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, and yeah. I presume that they, they, that the same kind of common criteria certified, it's all the same common criteria certified code. Uh, so I imagine it applies to the container stuff as well as the, uh, the KVM stuff, yep. right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's great. Um, so you mentioned Atomic. Uh, what, can you mm -hmm. tell people a little bit about what Atomic is? Yeah, yeah. So there's Project Atomic, which is the upstream project, and then there is Rel Atomic, which is the um, the productization of it. And so you could think of Rel Atomic as a super skinny version of Rel, 
and all it does is just run uh, Docker containers or Linux containers that hold you know, Docker images that are running on top of it. Um, and so the, so you can almost think of it as like a hypervisor that, you know, where a hypervisor is basically an operating system that is totally stripped down and all it does is run virtual guests. Um, uh, 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 an atomic host, all it does is run containers. And I, I go into it in the, the article saying that um, this methodology is pretty cool from a, uh, a tactical vehicle standpoint because um, it's really hard to cram like a cloud inside of a UAV, with, you know, because you need the switches, the storage, all the hypervisors, all that stuff. Um, whereas if you could have multiple uh, containers running on a single host or, or a small number of hosts, you could possibly fit um, basically a, a whole bunch of, of containers um, on physical systems running uh, uh, rel atomic inside of a UAV or inside of a uh, tactical vehicle or down a submarine hatch. Um, mm -hmm. So you could really, so the cool thing there is that if you do your development, say like on OpenShift, um, and, and this is the grand vision, is, is you do your development on OpenShift. The integrators and the government guys can do all their development on OpenShift in the past, have that rapid development cycle. And then whenever they, and but with the packaging and being uh, done in Docker, what they're able to do is take that container that they've packaged up um, and then deploy that onto, uh, say, like a tactical vehicle or a UAV running rel atomic. And, and so, you know, one of the problems that you have with tactical vehicles is that um, the update cycles are very long. Like they go out in the field and they may come back 18 months later or, you know, to get, you know, new tires or get, you know, uh, you know, there's a dent in the fender and they need to fix it or whatever. Um, and, and, and it's at that point in time that they refresh the hardware, apply software patches and things like that. Um, and one of the, the problems that you have with these tactical vehicles is that when they're in a depot, you may not have, you know, RHCs and RHCAs there to, you know, do analysis to see whether every, you have every single RPM applied and everything. But with, with Docker and Atomic, you can have each of the applications as basically a, you know, cryptographically signed blob that you could, uh, you know, quote unquote, flash onto uh, an Atomic host. And you know what version of that um, of that application you've you've laid down, and you could see whether it's up to date or out of date, or if you need to apply a new one, mm -hmm. or if or if someone's messed with it too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, in the field, and somebody changed something, well, you could bring it back into, uh, you know, do the drift management. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. So the um, so it's interesting. It, so there's another project out there, which is not a Red Hat mm -hmm. project called core OS, which is also getting a lot of, uh, getting a yeah. lot of press and it's similar on the surface. It's actually similar to, to atomic. Um, mm -hmm. but, a, a friend of the show, major Hayden, um, recently wrote this great article comparing core OS and project atomic, uh, and kind mm -hmm. of where they're similar and where they're different. And what it really brought to light for me was this idea of, I had assumed that Atomic, like you said, was like just like a skinny version of, of RHEL meant to host containers, um, very much like RevH is a skinny version of mm -hmm. RHEL meant to host virtual machines, right? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in fact, like both for CoreOS and Atomic, really they are the, they have in them uh, an, an infrastructure for orchestration. So in the example of mm -hmm. uh, CoreOS, uh, when a core OS system goes down, if the if the actual core OS goes down or shut down or unplugged or whatever, the core OS system knows to take the containers that were hosted on that machine and fire them up elsewhere, 
Um, mm. So there's kind of this resiliency kind of built into the CarOS infrastructure. Um, likewise, Project Atomic uh, through this uh, GearD software, which is inside Atomic, um, has uh, a whole bunch of orchestration and governance tools uh, built up. So it's it's really it's more about it's these tools seem on the surface about hosting the containers, but really they're about managing the container infrastructure um, and providing mm -hmm. the hooks you need to do the kind of governance and, uh, like I said, you know, resiliency, monitoring, and that kind of thing. Uh, anyway, go mm -hmm. check out the article because uh, it really uh, it was an excellent kind of intro to the two projects for me. Um, and it really drove home that both in the case of CoreOS and Atomic, uh, they're not just like skinny operating systems. They really, when you adopt them, you are really adopting a whole different lifestyle. Um, yep. which is, which is actually one of my favorite things about Docker. Um, whereas virtual machines, I think were improvements at the margins. Um, you know, they were kind of an optimization of work that we were already doing. Right. Um, mm -hmm. virtualization does some great things, right? It allows us to get better density on existing hardware, um, allows us to isolate applications one from another, um, introduces a few additional kind of overhead problems. Um, mm -hmm. but by and large, it was a way of doing the work we were already doing, just doing it a little bit better. Um, yeah, Docker, yes. especially through like these pro Project Atomic and CoreOS and uh, the work we're doing with OpenShift and the rest of it, Docker is doing something very different. Docker seems like it is actually changing how uh, an operation works. Um, mm -hmm. And so, it, it just for folks who are listening, like if you're thinking about Docker and containers as a way of uh, just doing faster virtualization. Um, I, I discourage you from thinking about it like that. It, it really is like a change in lifestyle. If, if you're going to adopt Docker and containers, you really do want to be thinking about different ways, as you said, of developing applications, right? Because you, now you mm -hmm. can develop on OpenShift and deploy on bare metal, uh, as an mm -hmm. example. Um, it's, just, it's a whole different way of, of doing things. Um, and if you're not taking that into account when you're adopting the technologies, you really aren't exploiting them. Uh, yeah. Anyway, getting long-winded there, but if uh, if folks want to get started with Docker, there's actually a great uh, KBase article at uh, at the Red Hat customer portal, uh, which we'll link to in the uh, in the show notes. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. It's it's pretty. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's a nice article. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Nice and thorough. Uh, let's see. And then uh, good news on the customer portal. There's a there's a there's a tool just for government folks on the customer mm -hmm. portal, right? Um, yep. We found the. Oh, you found it. I think so. You should talk about it. Well, it, I, yeah, but I didn't write it. Um, but it, it's a I have a uh, to CVE mapper uh, in the customer portal. So a lot of times, you know, somebody gets an an IAVA uh, that says, oh, well, hey, you got to remediate your system against this IAVA. Well, you could actually plug the IAVA number in and then get back a list of CVEs and Red Hat, Arata, and it's all cross referenced and cross linked in our customer portal. So that's that's really exciting. That is great. And running on OpenShift. Yep. If I remember. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All of our lab uh, stuff uh, runs inside of OpenShift. So cool. That's great. Um, so, uh, Dave, there's one thing we haven't talked about on the show yet, and it's been conspicuous by its absence so far. Can you guess mm -hmm. what it is? RHEL 7. RHEL 7. That's right. We haven't talked about RHEL 7 at all. This is like a, this is a huge deal, RHEL 7 coming out. Um, and you, Dave, were like you were in mission control when we launched it, right? Like you were... Yeah. Um, I mean, you were you were you were on the team that that, that launched this product. So, uh, so walk me through it. What are the what are the highlights? Well, there's there's a whole bunch. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about containers and Docker, and that's that's one of the new features. Um, with RHEL seven, we've we've switched over to from the init subsystem to system D, and so boo. like if boo oh sorry, 
No, it's Sorry, awesome. I thought, it's, my, it's I thought actually... my mic was off. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's actually working pretty good. I'm uh, like I'm I'm running RHEL seven right now. I probably sound a lot newer, probably probably younger. Um, mm -hmm. and more because sprightly. I'm running. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I um, added an SSD to my laptop, and so doing System D on my on uh, with an SSD on my laptop. My laptop like boots up RHEL 7 in like 10 seconds. And that's with an encrypted drive and LVM and all that stuff. Um, so it's, nice. it's, that's pretty nice. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, there's so many things in there. There's the um, uh, performance profiles that, you know, so you can install systems that are pre-tuned for, oh, I'm doing a database workload or I'm doing a, a web server workload. You, you could pre-tune it that way. Um, just a, a ton of good stuff. There's Windows integration. Uh, so things like cross-realm trust with uh, Active Directory. So I could have uh, an identity management server that is managing all of your Linux systems. Um, I can authenticate against them and then have a cross-realm trust with an Active Directory server. And so if I get a, a token on my uh, identity management server, I can use the Windows services because there's already a trust agreement between um, the Active Directory server and the um, the identity management server, so I could access like Samba shares or um, this is, any yeah. anything that is uh, AD authentication enabled. Uh, this is a, and this is a this is a big deal. It sounds boring. Like as soon as you say stuff mm -hmm. like cross realm trust, a lot of people will tune out. But um, yeah, I know, yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, um, I know that uh, a lot of shop, you know. A lot of shops are like there's the Windows guys over here and there's the Linux guys over here, and a source of constant tension is the Linux guys being forced to use the Active Directory stuff that the Windows guys operate in order to do their authentication. Uh, and so yeah. a lot of them want to run their own Kerberos or identity management server, but it's always been difficult to get that identity management server hooked up to the Active Directory stuff so you can take advantage of all the stuff that the AD server knows, like identities mm -hmm. and who the hosts are and the passwords and all the rest of it. Um, and being mm -hmm. able to establish that cross-realm trust means that you can operate your own identity management server and not be beholden to the Windows guys while at the same time taking advantage of all the information that their AD server knows. Uh, yep. so, so I'm declaring peace in our time. Uh, now that we <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing too is you save a lot of money because uh, you don't have to buy a Windows, an Active Directory client access license or a Cal for every mm -hmm. uh, Linux box that you have because yep. they, they already authenticate to your identity management server, so you're not paying for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, and so, so sorry, getting back to System D because I know this is uh, people in the community. There's a lot of people who hate System D for moral and aesthetic reasons. Um, can you tell me a little bit about why, why move to system D? Like what does it do and what, do, and why does it do it better than its predecessors? Like, like in D? Yeah. So like in it, in the past, um, you were very limited in terms of like how you could, whenever you go to start things up, you know, the system boot times would take longer because, um, you couldn't boot things or you couldn't start services in parallel. Um, and so with system D, you could actually set up dependencies to say, well, I don't want to start, um, I can, I, like, you don't want to start, um, Apache until the network is up. Um, but you know, it, but then I, I don't want to start SSH D up until Apache is up or I'm sorry, until, um, the network is up. But if I have it, but with system D, you could say that, oh, well, once a network is up, everything is dependent upon the network. They're free to go ahead and start their services. Um, and there, another thing is that you could even uh, uh, 
have services start whenever um, it, they don't have to be started at boot time. So for instance, like SSH is a good example or Apache is a good example of like where you want to do say like a cloud workload where you want to have the footprint be as small as possible. And so if you're not running certain services all the time, don't bother turning them on. And then, but if somebody all of a sudden starts talking to port 80 or, uh, you know, the SSH port, um, then have, it's like, oh, hey, I got I got a packet on port 80 or port 443. Um, go ahead and start Apache up to service that request. And then after a period of time, it can shut itself down. And then that allows you to have uh, a smaller footprint in terms of, you know, how much cloud uh, um, resources you're taking up. And also, again, that's another way to have your boot times happen a lot faster because you don't have to start these services that may not be used at boot time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. It's, it's the way I understand it is is System D allows you to put a bunch of instrumentation and metadata around a particular service uh, mm -hmm. so that you can do stuff like when I spin up the service, apply this SE Linux context to it, yep. right? Or yep. and apply this uh, C groups. Uh, resource constraints to it um, so that I yep. know that every time I start at the web server, it's in this particular SE Linux jail and mm -hmm. it has X percent of the network and X percent of the disk uh, and so on, uh, which is actually the part that I like the most because uh, we're using that infrastructure over on the Atomic project that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. the Atomic project, when it's spinning up containers, it's actually using systemd to spin up the containers, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it'll spin up the container, stick them in the right SE Linux, uh, you know, uh, MCS context, and just like you said, that's great. That's and so cool. and set up the networking, you know, private networking. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. I like it. it's the idea of it's as a as a one time sysadmin, um, the idea that I could manage all of these constraints uh, and all of the uh, all the available services in one place uh, using tools a little bit more sophisticated than a bunch of shell scripts. Uh, is really kind of comforting. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of nice. Anyway, um, there was another big launch too, right? Uh, Rev came out, uh, Rev three point yeah. four, I think. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's we're we're just going further down the down the rabbit hole with the convergence with uh, OpenStack. Uh, so now mm -hmm. Rev and uh, the Rev three four and OpenStack share uh, they share the same storage infrastructure. They share the same networking infrastructure, uh, and it's. Uh, Again, we say this every time the new Rev release comes out, but um, it's lovely to see Rev kind of blossoming, blossoming from its kind of awkward teenage years into adulthood. <laughs> now it's being married up to OpenStack. I think it's becoming a much more interesting uh, tool than simply a cheap alternative to VMware, right? Uh, it's yep. beginning to do its, uh, it's got, it's now winning on its own merits, I guess. Nice yeah, and, and I like the modularity too, where, mm -hmm. you know, in the past, whether it was Rev or whether it was VMware, um, you know, the people working on, if you want to do say like networking performance enhancements, or you wanted to rewrite that stack and all that, it was, it would only be applicable to say VMware or only be applicable to Rev, um, where here it's basically, you get a two for one where it, it benefits the OpenStack folks and it also benefits the, the Rev folks. And um, so I, I think that really optimizes the engineering investments that we're making and, uh, the, and the community outreach that we're doing, um, which is I, I think is going to make the the daylight between say like Rev and VMware get smaller and smaller over time, and in, in many cases, um, 
improve, uh, you know, do better. I mean, I know for years we've been beating VMware from a performance and security standpoint. And mm -hmm. oh, and to go back, one other awesome thing about RHEL 7 that um, I thought was pretty awesome is that on day one, um, we had world, world record benchmarks uh, for uh, Java performance on HP hardware. Nice. Well, that's great. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, one other one other thing, too, was um, with uh, another thing that like a week after we announced RHEL 7, uh, we announced that uh, RHEL is in uh, RHEL 7 is in evaluation for common criteria as well. Yeah, that, which is huge. Um, do you remember how painful it was with RHEL 5 and RHEL 6? Like how long we had to wait for that to get into evaluation? Um, oh, yeah. It, it was, was like a dot four. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it was, it was like, like two two years, two years after. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and in this case, it was a week. A week afterwards, we were in evaluation, which means that uh, government users can now, uh, in good conscience, use uh, Rel Seven. Uh, so, yep. a, a huge congratulations to uh, to all of the teams that worked on that in Red Hat. Um, that was an amazing achievement. Is to come out of the gate with an evaluation that is. Uh, yep. I've never seen anything move that fast uh, with Common Criteria. Yes. So that's good. Good work, guys. And they were probably getting sick of you and I going up to Westford complaining too. <laughs> that's right. Yes, I, that's right. That was my role in this process is whining. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> we'll show them. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so speaking of virtualization and OpenStack, uh, there was a great article. This actually came out like six weeks ago and we haven't talked about it yet, which was uh, talking about the work that we did with Harvard and MIT uh, putting OpenStack in place uh, for this private cloud that they're building. Um, so at the MIT Broad Institute, uh, they needed uh, kind of an internal infrastructure as a service. Uh, they teamed up with us and with Cisco, and they've stood up uh, this infrastructure running on Red Hat's OpenStack on top of Cisco's hardware. Uh, and it's going really well from what I understand. Uh, so we have a link uh, to a write-up about that in uh, Business Cloud News, uh, which you can check out in the show notes. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what about lessons learned? So in the EU, there's an organization, it's had a bunch of different names over the years, uh, but its job is to advocate for open source software inside EU and, and the EU agencies. And so these guys, they're, all they do all day is take a look at how EU procurements of open source software is working. And mm -hmm. they came up with this study uh, from Leipzig um, that talked about moving from proprietary office suites you can guess which one they're talking about, um, over to uh, open source office suites. And what they, what they found is the exit costs uh, of leaving these proprietary uh, systems almost totally overwhelms any uh, anticipated savings you might get from your new open source platform. So in the, in the case of this transition uh, that they wrote up, it caught for the if you took the cost savings of this open source platform, you can project those cost savings out five years and the accumulated mm -hmm. savings are almost completely nullified by the cost of leaving their proprietary system. Um, wow. So it, yeah, so it would take year six before you actually started saving money. Um, so this really struck me because exit costs are a big topic for me. Uh, I think that mm -hmm. Uh, proprietary companies often talk about open source cost savings as being, you know, ephemeral or like, oh, you'll never see these cost savings. Uh, and they'll produce a bunch of studies that say, you know, it takes years to get the to get your money back, or you'll never get your money back. And what a lot of them don't mention is that, you know, is that what this study says is 
it's the exit costs, which are actually costing you money, not the actual cost of the software that you're, the open yeah. software that you're moving to. Um, and so, especially when we're, like we were saying before, especially when we're talking about cloud, um, we're talking about, you know, the costs of vendor lock-in, the costs of vendor abandonment. Um, don't just look at the cost of acquiring open source software. Um, also look mm -hmm. at ways of reducing your exit costs from the solution that you're on. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. where open standards comes in, right? Um, it's where having well-defined processes comes in. You know, there's a whole, there's a whole boatload of things that you can do to actually make it easier for you to change your mind later. Um, and it just, mm -hmm. it, and this is a great example. This study is a great example of it. So, uh, yeah, people should uh, check it out. It's a, I'll throw it in there in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, and then related to that is, uh, <laughs> this, um, uh, uh, this, uh, DOD official, uh, made this plea to Congress uh, in the next uh, National Defense Authorization Act. This is the DOD budget. Um, it, Dave, you'll remember for the last few DOD budgets that we've had, there's been language in there about moving to open systems um, mm -hmm. and you know moving to uh, open platforms, open systems, uh, more agile procurement and the rest of it. Uh, anyway, there's this great article in Breaking Defense from uh, this uh, staff member of a, uh, of a fellow in the DOD pleading with Congress to please do not tell us what to do in DOD acquisition anymore. Um, and above all, do not give us, do not ask us for a separate acquisition process for IT systems. Um, hmm. He's saying that, you know, the existing acquisition system is plenty complicated. Uh, we have, there's no reason why we should need to add a, another complicated system to go solve this problem. Uh, we have all the tools that we need. Um, all we need is kind of internal bureaucratic reform uh, and not a new yes. set of rules coming from Congress, um, which is not an opinion, honestly, is not an opinion that I had heard before. Um, a lot of people are like, there is no problem or we need a completely new system. I hadn't heard somebody say, well, we can just use the existing system and uh, you know, maybe emphasize one set of rules <laughs> over another. Uh, yeah. Kind of an interesting way of, of kind of cutting the baby in half. Uh, anyway, so yeah. that's why I included this link. Uh, I don't know if I have an opinion about it. Uh, it's... Although these often, you know, when you have these kind of black and white arguments of either there is no problem or throw the whole thing out, burn it to the ground and build something new. Um, it's often that third way, which ends up being true. Um, and so uh, I'm intrigued. Um, but at the same time, that sounds so nuanced an argument um, and so kind of fraught with peril. Uh, it makes me a little bit pessimistic about it. But uh I know, I'm, I've got an open mind. Um, if people know yeah. more specifics about what this guy's proposals are, please let me know. Yes. Yeah, and it, it's a hard problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been trying to fix this thing for 20 years, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and, it's, and it only continues to get worse. Um, gnarly. It's hard, to do, it's hard to do IT in the DoD. That's, that's the moral of the story. Mm -hmm. It's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wow, Dave, I think we're at the uh, we're at the end of the list here. I don't, I don't think we have anything yeah. else to talk about. No, no, we got we got other episodes to record. So that's right. Yep. All right, we better uh, better cut this off then. Um, so, Dave, if folks want to learn more about uh, DACA, if they want to learn more about containers, mm -hmm. if they want to learn more about RHEL seven, if they want to learn more about Rev, if they want to uh, see all the awesome stuff that we have in the customer portal now, uh, where where do they go for something like that? They want to go to dgshow.org. So D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Nice. Uh, and Dave, I will see you in about five minutes. Yes. Excellent. Okay. Bye, everybody. <laughs>